0: The reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Mark, it's a long passage. Thanks for working your way through it. Well, good evening, Redemption Arcadia. This is where you respond and say something like good evening. Okay, thank you. Come on, work with me. Work with me. It's been a long day for all of us, all right? Uh, My name is Josh Prather, I'm one of the elders here, I'm a pastor at Redemption Church, um, and it's always a privilege when I get the opportunity to to preach. I'm going to go through an outline of where I'm going to go in the sermon, and then we can dive into it. I'm going to start by talking through the biblical story. What I mean by that is I want to talk through God's intentions for his creation before we get to our passage, because when we come to our passage, we're going to be acutely aware that things are not the way God created them to be. So why is that? What was God's intentions? Start with the biblical story. And then kind of go into the context for Luke. So Luke, as he's writing this gospel, what is his vision? And what is uh, his audience that he's trying to speak to? Um, And then from that, I'll work my way verse by verse through the text. So if you have your Bible, you have your phone, it's going to be really important to pop that out as I'm going through the text and kind of working my way through it. And then in light of the text... Um, How is it good news for us? Where's the gospel? I think we have a great text because the gospel really comes to life in and of itself on its own, but I'm going to take some time to really bring it to life, bring the gospel to life, and then from that, the gospel impacts us as a people, and then God sends us out of this place, out of these doors to love our neighbor. So gospel to love our neighbor, but loving our neighbor is hard. Siri, be quiet. Loving our neighbor is hard, so... When you love your neighbor, um, what is the hope we have in the future? So we look to the future and we say, okay, in light of loving our neighbor, what is the hope we have because it's it's a hard journey? And if you take away one thing, I want you to take this away. If you're a note taker, write this down. Remember this is that forgiven people love, simple concept, but it's going to be the key, it's going to be the central point of all I'm going to talk about is forgiven people love. I'm going to keep coming back to that, okay? Let me pray for us, and then I'll, I'll jump into it. God, I thank you for this, for this time together. God, it's a moment that uh, I confess to you, I take for granted. God, we just submit our time, we submit our minds to you. God, there's so many distractions, God, um, and we just submit our minds to you, we submit our hearts to you. God, we have feelings and emotions that are pulling us in different ways. God, we submit our body to you. God, even our posture of how we're trying to take in what you have to say to us. And I I submit my mind, my mouth, my heart to you, God, that you would use me. Holy Spirit, fill me up and use me as you see fit. My body, my mind, everything belongs to you. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, Amen. amen. So we start with the biblical story. God created in Genesis 1 and 2 perfect humans. And what does that mean to be perfect? Well, there's three things I want to talk through. First... Is God created us to be in a perfect relationship with himself. Sin is not in God's creation and certainly sin is not anywhere in our hearts. The idea of self-righteousness for men and, or women in Genesis 1 and 2 is completely ridiculous. It's nowhere near us. Our identity is wholly and fully found in God. So that's number one, is we have a perfect relationship with God. And each one of these is going to tie into our text. Number two is we have a perfect relationship with one another. Men and women are actually equal. Adam does not oppress or abuse Eve and look down on her and think that she's less than human. Eve does not see herself as an object or struggle with her identity, but she sees herself as a strong woman of God. They are they're perfect in harmony with one another and as they connect to God. So number two is we have a perfect relationship with one another. And the third thing is we have a perfect relationship with creation the love of money is nowhere to be found in adam and eve at this point in time they actually see money the way they're supposed to see it or the goods and the resources that god has given them they see them as things that are to be stewarded for god's glory and for the love of their neighbor but with our disobedience all of those are broken, and the fabric of God's creation is ripped apart, and now sin is so pervasive that it's just all over us, and it's all over God's creation, and, and it's all over the passage that we're going to read, and it makes the context, going to the context for Luke, honestly, reading through this passage, it makes it really challenging for me to read this passage, because sin, thinking about sin permeating me as a pastor, as a husband, as a father... Um, and sin that is just so pervasive in creation, it can distort my eyes. And also, it really is important for me to think about when we're thinking about the audience that Luke is speaking to. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to read a quote. And this quote is by Stephen Wright. The quote's going to come up on the screen. And periodically, I'm just going to stop in the quote and just share a piece of my story that I, help, um, I hope helps really bring out the challenge that I have in studying Luke and preaching Luke. So read the quote with me. Luke's gospel itself is read as offering good news to the poor. Josh Prather, by every measurement, is extraordinarily rich compared to the rest of the world. So, okay, that's one down. Salvation does not come through military prowess. It occurs as the physically weak, all-conference in football, number two, not working out for me, socially ostracized, voted most popular, in high school, mm, yep, still not, not working out. And morally degraded, my dad is a pastor, I am a pastor, my dad was seen as a religious figure in the community, I am seen as a religious figure in the community. And all of these things are to my detriment that I just listed. These aren't accolades that I'm listing. These are to, to, to my detriment when I think about coming in to follow Jesus. The morally degraded to find new dignity and place in community through relating to Jesus. One of the major themes, he goes on to say, in Luke's gospel, but certainly not the only theme, is the great reversal taking place in the world. The first are becoming last, and the last are becoming first. The proud are being brought low, and the humble exalted. So when Luke is crafting his gospel under the power of the Holy Spirit, he has an audience in mind that he wants to encourage. He has an audience in mind that he wants to lift up and give dignity and value to their humanity, and it's the poor, it's the ostracized, it's the women that are looked down upon and seen as less than human. It's the morally degraded in society. When the world tells you that you're a worthless woman, Jesus says you have value and your sins are forgiven. When the world tells you you're weak, Jesus says you can find strength in me and you always have a place at my table. When culture tells you that you're poor, And insignificant, Jesus says, you're somebody and you can come find your true wealth hidden within me. But when you're strong, why do you need anybody to tell you that you have value? You already think you have value. And when you think that you're righteous, why do you need a savior? And when you're rich, it's not very appealing for someone to call you to sell all you possess and follow them. So you see Redemption Arcadia. When I come to this text, I, I have a problem. I have a problem in reading it. And Matthew nineteen twenty four only builds upon it. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So what is Luke's message? If I'm not the primary audience, I am an audience because we're going to see Simon and we're going to see a woman, and Jesus is speaking to both, and he speaks to all of us. It's not as if it doesn't speak to me. It just has a different message. So what is Luke's message to healthy, wealthy, religious Josh Prathers of the world. Luke tells us, be warned. Luke says, humble yourself. Luke says, become nothing so that you can become something. And this is hard. This is really hard. I'm not going to go into my full salvation story. i just give you little snippets of my life. But God literally had had to tear my life apart to show me how desperate I was for the grace of Jesus. However, I step into a culture, I step into a world that's constantly trying to tell me that you're strong. Why would you want to be weak? That you're rich. Why would you want to become poor? That you're somebody. Why would you want to become nothing? So we move from me to you and we ask ourselves these same questions. Are you poor? Are you marginalized and are you ostracized in in our culture and in the world? Are you a sinner that is beyond God's redemption? Or are you strong? Are you rich? Are you religious? And it's these questions we're going to be thinking through as we go through the passage because Jesus is going to be speaking to both groups. Different messages, but oddly enough, we're going to arrive at the same place. And I'll get to that as we, we go into it. So now. Uh, to the passage Luke 7 36 through 50 if you have once again your phone or your Bible please open it up turn there with me I'm going to walk through the passage starting in verse 37 and I want us to think about what this woman is walking into so um, at this time in the first century it's not like Jesus sitting at a couch or sitting at a table when he says reclining at table picture yourself on the couch you know propped up you got the table sitting in front of you and Simon is sitting across from him So Jesus is reclining at the table. So when the woman comes to him, she's coming up behind his feet at the end of the couch, so to speak, and they call this woman a woman of the city. And honestly, scholars go back and forth in the commentaries that I read about what exactly that is, but people lean, and I would tend to lean that way as well, just from the other women that Jesus encounters and he's trying to lift up, that it's a prostitute or someone that's been in commercial sex trafficking. So this is who this woman is, and this is what, she's bringing to Jesus. And we have to remember that this wasn't this woman's dream when she was growing up, to be in this place. And I think it's important to just kind of humanize her as Jesus is trying to do before we even get to what she does and who she really is. The International Justice Mission, there's a good quote that says this, the vast majority of victims of sex trafficking, of trafficking, excuse me, the vast majority of victims of trafficking come from backgrounds of poverty impoverished women women and girls are especially susceptible to traffickers' schemes of deception. Because of their desperate economic situation, they or their parents or caretakers are mo- more willing to take risks, so they are more likely to accept fraudulent job offers or insincere marriage proposals from traffickers, to move to another location, to migrate to another country, or to believe other deceptive techniques criminals use to entrap their victims. Another uh, statistic that I got off the National Sexual Violence Resource Center says that one in five women will be sexually assaulted in their lifetime. So this woman is coming in in a desperate state, but let's just remember that she's been in a desperate state, if my sense is correct, her whole life. She's been used and abused her entire life. She's always been desperate, but now she thinks she has an out. And what does she do when she thinks she has an out? She brings her most prized possession. She brings an alabaster flask of ointment to Jesus. And a pastor at Redemption Gateway says, this woman brought the most precious thing she had, and she laid it at Jesus' feet. And this was probably her, her way out. And she looks at Jesus and she says, I've been waiting my whole life for a way out. And I think you're it. And if I can only get to you, maybe, maybe I'll have a chance. Maybe I'll have a way out. So how does she come to Jesus? Verse 38, she comes weeping, she's crying, and she kisses his feet. And I want you to close your eyes, if you would, with me, and I want you to picture Jesus is lying on the couch, reclining at table, and this woman comes up behind him. And she's emotional when she comes in, but when she gets close to Jesus, she's overcome. Because in the presence of Jesus, she sees two things. She sees her own sin, and she sees the beauty of Jesus. And what does she do? She starts to weep. And her tears, she's weeping, and her tears start to fall on the feet of Jesus, and then she's overcome with emotion, and she she can't stand any longer. So she bows, and she's at Jesus' feet, and she's holding his feet in her hands, and her hair is over top of her head. Hair's over top of her head, and she's grabbing the ointment, and she's wetting his feet, with her tears. She's pouring on the ointment. She's grabbing her hair. She's wiping his feet. She is a mess. She's a mess in front of Jesus. What is she? She's shameless. She's bold. She's on her knees. She's extremely sad. She's overcome with emotion. And what we see is an internal state that's manifested in an external state. A lot of times we like to say we're desperate, but you didn't need to ask this woman if she was desperate, did you? You didn't need to ask this woman if Jesus was her only way out. You saw it. What was in her heart, what was in her mind, it became real to you, and it comes to life. And just an exercise for you, if you're interested. Go through the Gospels and mark the times that you see people come to Jesus and they're held together emotionally, they're physically strong, standing upright, they're full of self-confidence and self-righteousness. They're frugal financially, wanting to hold on to their money. Um, and they come and they tap Jesus onto the shoulder and say, hey, can you give me a ham or something? Yeah, we laugh because what we don't see it, do we? We see people that are desperate, desperate just to touch. I love the woman with the flow of blood in the Gospels that just comes and she says, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, and she crawls to him, because the crowd pushes around. She crawls to him just to touch the hem on his garment. Desperate. And you have to remember the condition of Jesus' feet. Jesus is fully human. Okay? So it's not like he's God, so therefore his feet are like bling. No. We're dealing with some, with some nasty feet. We got dust on his feet. And what's in that dust? We have feces. We have urine. We have garbage. And this woman is weeping on his feet, picking up his feet, kissing kissing his feet, completely humiliating herself, but she doesn't care. She doesn't care. She barges into the house because she had to be with Jesus. So, of course, Simon looks at her and then looks at Jesus and says, if this man were a prophet, this is verse 39, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman, woman this is. And this is so ironic because <clears throat> little does Simon know that in about 30 seconds, Jesus is about to drop a really hard prophetic word for Simon. But Simon forgets what a prophet does. Now, what does a prophet actually do? A prophet is a covenant enforcer. What does that mean? A covenant enforcer means that God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. You will be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, and a light to the nations A people called out to love. And God has a a people in mind, all people, but God has a people in mind, and who is that? It's the poor, it's the marginalized, It's the looked over, it's the forgotten, it's the abused women. And God says, this is who I want you to love, and that's part of the covenant that you made with me as my people, and Simon completely forgets it. Simon forgets what a true prophet does, but Jesus is about to remind him. And what Simon can't believe is not that Jesus... Is around the woman because you have to think about this Jesus is in the city and Simon's not upset that the woman is also in the city how could Jesus even allow this woman in the city no that's not what upsets him it's the touch it's the proximity it's the fact that Jesus allows this woman to get near him and pick up his feet and Simon can't even believe it why because it gives her value immediately when Jesus allows her to grab his feet, pick him up, and start to kiss him, Simon knows Jesus is actually giving her value. Jesus is saying that she has worth. And just that in and of itself is prophetic on the part of Jesus, because Simon doesn't give her any humanity at all. He doesn't see her as a beautiful woman that is a sinner. He sees her as a disgusting sinner, period. And that's all she is. That's all she is. So, what happens after this is uh, Jesus knows his thoughts. Jesus kind of bounces in and out of the narrative as a human, but God. <laughs> so he has a moment where he, God and knows what Simon is thinking. And he says, Simon, I'd like to ask you a question, you know, tell you a story. And he says, say it, teacher. So I want to read to you verse 41, what he, what he starts with. Verse 41, if you want to follow along. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay... He canceled the debt of both. Now, which one will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Now, I want to put this into our context uh, to make it a little easier. Um, And this would never happen in our context. I mean, we could never imagine a situation like this. So just like, you really got to imagine with me. Imagine that people are paying more for homes than they actually should. And imagine that lenders are actually lending money that they probably shouldn't. We'll call this a mortgage lending crisis. We've never heard of this; never happened in our context. But if you use your imagine with me. If you think one person laughed, all right, I appreciate that. Stay with me. So we, we'll call this a mortgage lending crisis. So what happens in this crisis is you lose your job, your wife loses your job, you have no money, no way to pay, pay down the debt. So the money lenders come after you. But in this context, what actually happens, you actually literally become a slave to the lender. The debt surpasses anything that you could ever pay back. It's not even possible to ever even think about paying back the debt. And this is what Jesus is gonna use to compare it to sin. You could never even imagine paying it back. And this woman has a debt that she couldn't even fathom paying back, and she's a slave to sin. A debt that she could never pay back, recognizing she's an absolute slave to her own sin. So Jesus turns towards her and says, then turning towards the woman, and Jesus does this in almost every story we're gonna share with you, Jesus actually sees. The eyes of Jesus are so beautiful and so amazing because Simon sees, but he doesn't see. It's like there's an invisibility, like he sees, but she's still invisible to him. She's nothing to him. But Jesus not only allows her to touch him, he looks at her, humanizes her, and he really sees her. And he looks at Simon and says, verse 44, do you see this woman? And of course we know he doesn't. No, he doesn't really see, this, see the woman. Why? Because Simon looks at her and says, I'm me, religious, with money, well-established in the community, and this woman's filthy. This woman's this woman's Nothing. This woman's poor, this woman's a prostitute. No, I don't see this woman. So I'm gonna read the story one more time. We already read it once, I just wanna read the story one more time and I'm gonna ask you with me, do we see this woman? Do we really see her? See her with me, I'm gonna read it one more time. Starting in verse 44. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, did you see or do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. You have to understand how Simon sees this woman and what Jesus just did, because I can only imagine that Simon's jaw just dropped wide open. Because the Praether home has actually had some unexpected, uninvited guests as well. But they're not women of the city, they're roof rats of the city. And uh, if you know like the crocodile hunter like chronicles, it's been like the urban hunter chronicles in the Praether home. Me like trying to take down these roof rats, you know, over the last few months, it's like been my mission, if I can just get these roof rats out of my house. So you have to imagine, you invite me over to your house. And we're taking it easy, we're kicking it on the couch, I got my feet up. You know, and we're chatting a little bit. And then all of a sudden, a rat comes up to my feet and starts to like snuggle up, snuggle up with my feet. And I look at you and I say, you didn't even give me a blanket. But this rat is here keeping my feet warm. You didn't even give me any music. You didn't put any music on for me. And look at this rat. He's down here like squeaking, making beautiful. That's how Simon, that, 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 your response is Simon. When Jesus exalts her as the real sermon for him, his mouth drops because he sees her as a rat. Absolutely nothing with with no value. And I think the challenge is we sometimes are like Simon and how we welcome Jesus into the equation. We open the door, we ask him to come in, but there's no real desperation. There's no true hospitality. Why? And why is that? Because we know how to lead lead a church, we know how to lead our homes, we know how to lead our organizations, we have life insurance, we might have a 401k, we might have a diverse portfolio of investments, we've got our emergency reserve, we're respected people in the community, we're students, we're bankers, we're lawyers, we're doctors, we have multiple degrees, what is going to lead us to be that hospitable for Jesus or to be that desperate for the love of God? And this is the challenge that we have working against this. So Jesus says again, and I say to you, do you see this woman? She is the sermon for all of us. <clears throat> and just one quick word as I read through that story. When it says, wet my feet with her tears. I am not joking. It's not an exaggeration. I've had three conversations I can remember in the last two months with women that have gotten emotional. The conversation gets serious. You know, it's a counseling session. So... Get emotional. What's the first thing that a woman will do if she's in public and she gets emotional? What will she do? Apologize.
0: Apologize.
1: Always, right? Immediately say, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm getting emotional. I just, what have we done in our society? When you hear that someone's emotional, a woman or a man, do you ever put it as a positive? Say, man, she's really emotional. Or is it immediately a negative connotation attached to it, right? And here we see Jesus saying, no, this is true worship. You know who's actually held together in this story? Simon. You know who's stoic? You know who's strong? Simon. You know who's weak? You know who's emotionally distraught? You know who's desperate? The woman of the city. And that's who Jesus exalts and says, this is real worship. If you really want to worship me, you come to me like this woman. And Simon had the opportunity. Simon had the opportunity to to come and kneel at Jesus' feet with the woman, but he didn't take it. So the woman is there at his feet and Jesus looks at her and says, her sins, which are many. And this is why Ah, I love the way Jesus interacts with people because he doesn't diminish their sin. He's, do, he's doing so much work in this story to exalt this woman, to give her humanity, to say that she's beautiful. But as he's doing it, he recognizes that she needs forgiveness because her sins, which are many, he says, need forgiveness. And what he's doing to Simon is he's trying to humble. Simon looks at himself up here. He's proud He's proud, and this woman is completely insecure because culture has given her nothing, and what he's trying to do in this story is he's trying to bring them together into the middle, and where is this middle? It's sin. (laughs) It's the equality, and Frank used this illustration a few weeks ago. He says, there's God, and then there's the world, all lumped together, and what do we all lump together with? Our humanity and our sinfulness, but in culture, culture doesn't see it like that, so Jesus tries to humble Jesus tries to lift up. So who are you? Are you Simon in this story or are you the woman? And he goes, your sins, which are many, are forgiven. She knew how great of a sinner she was, so therefore she, she knew the forgiveness that she needed and she knew the only place that she, that she could get it. So if you're new to church, I want to go back to the story and you want to think about this woman's sin. I said it before, I'll say it one more time is that this woman understood the debt that she had that she could never pay back. If you're new to church, you can think about sin and debt connected. She had a debt that she could never pay back, and she was a slave. The Bible says the borrower is a slave to the lender, and she was a slave to sin. And she had a debt that she could never repay. So she comes to Jesus, and Jesus says that she has been forgiven much, and therefore, She loves much. And I know a lot of you are sitting here right now and you would love to love better. You would really appreciate loving your wife more. You would really appreciate being able to love your husband. You would really appreciate if you could love your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your daughter, your neighbor, your enemy. But if we look at this story, there's a progression and where it starts is sinfulness. Her sins, which are many, And then she understands her sin in light of Jesus, that moves her to being forgiven much, and then she is freed up from that to love much. You can't just skip to love. You can't just jump to love because you can never sustain it. It's only sustained by the power of God that comes from your forgiveness that can only be found in the gospel. It can only be found right there. And you know who is brilliant at this? It's Tom Schrader. Tom Schrader was the founding pastor of Redemption Gilbert, huge mentor for Frank. I actually never got the chance to, to know Tom that well, but I feel like I did just because I spent so much time with Frank and Tyler Johnson, who's another pastor and my boss. And Tom was a quick forgive. Everybody said that. Um, because Tim Maugham would say he lived 30, li- or 30 years of hell before he actually came to know Jesus. He didn't become a pastor and plant Redemption Gilbert until I think he was almost 40 when he actually planted Redemption Gilbert. But what that did is when he drew close to Jesus, Jesus would just give him a glimpse into his own heart. And, and it's, it's, it's wild that the closer you get to Jesus and the more beautiful Jesus becomes, in light of his beauty and in light of his grace, you see yourself for who you really are. Full of sin. Sin that you never even knew that you were capable of. starts to appear to you. And Tom knew this. Everyone said that Tom was like extremely self-aware. He didn't care what other people thought. It was one of his best attributes, but he cared a lot what Jesus thought. He knew he was forgiven, and from that forgiveness, he was freed up to love his neighbor in extravagant ways And honestly, I don't think this city will ever fully know the side of heaven. Tom's impact. And it started with he had been forgiven much. And he knew it. He knew it. Forgiven people love and self-righteous people judge. So you can look at your life. You don't think you're self-righteous. Well, are you judging or are you loving? Verse 48 and 49. And then after that, he says, your sins are forgiven. And of course, Simon is, is shocked. But when Jesus says in Matthew 28, verse 18, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus really means it. He really means it. And another interesting study if you wanted to go through the Gospels and just look at the times where people say, Who is this? Wind and the waves, be still. Disciples, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Paralytic man, rise, take up your bed, walk, and by the way, your sins are forgiven. Everybody around him, who is this? This woman. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus has authority. He has authority over your job. He has authority over your marriage. He has authority over your home. He has authority over your relationships. He has authority over your money. And yes, he has authority over your sins. No one else does in the whole world and the whole creation except for Jesus. Which leads us to the gospel. So we ask at the end of our passage a few diagnostic questions It says that this woman's faith is what saved her. It wasn't her love. She didn't think that she was coming in with an alabaster flask and this extravagant love was gonna be enough. No, she had faith in Jesus, who Jesus was and what Jesus could do. And it was by faith in him that she actually found salvation. So, we ask first, have you been forgiven? Have you been forgiven? Because some of you, maybe as I'm sharing and I'm talking about sinfulness i'm talking about forgiveness you're thinking to yourself i'm overwhelmed right now with my sin i've never been desperate for jesus and now could be excuse me now could be the first time that you come to jesus and you lay the whole of who you are at the feet of jesus so that's the first question that we ask and i would encourage you to do that but for most of us we have given our lives to jesus we've experienced the grace of god so we ask ourselves this question how much have you been forgiven? And we take a moment and we sit back and we think. We think about uh, who we were before Jesus. And then we think about the things that Jesus has called us to do that we haven't done. We think about what Jesus has asked us not to do. And we've decided to still do. And with the list, as you come close to Jesus and you gaze into his face, the list just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. But forgiveness is right there waiting for us. So how much have you been forgiven? And the beautiful thing about the call of Jesus is Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he hasn't paved the way in doing. This bold, shameless love that he calls us to, he led the way and we have faith in the work that has already been completed by Jesus. In John 13, he gets out a water basin, he throws a towel over his shoulder and he calls his disciples and he says, I need to wash your feet. And you have to think about this moment because in just a few chapters, Peter is going to deny Jesus three times and completely disregard his relationship with him. Every disciple in that room is going to walk away from Jesus. Judas, Judas who will betray Jesus and hand him over to be murdered and killed is sitting there. And what does Jesus do in response to what he knows? He gets down on his knees. He picks up their feet that are just covered and God knows what, and he washes them clean. That's love, church, and that's what we put our faith in. We don't put our faith in the love that we have. We put our faith in the love that Jesus has for us, and that and that alone can actually free us up to be the people that God has called us to be. From the gospel, recognizing that it's the love of Jesus We move to actually loving our neighbor. God calls us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. And I want to first, in my first point, I want to speak to men in light of the passage. And the first thing that I have to say is when we think about loving our neighbor, how are we honoring women and learning from them? There's two things that are going on here. Jesus is lifting up a woman and he's honoring her, a woman that has received no honor in culture and in society, and he calls Simon to look at her and to learn from her. So, who is the, the woman that's the sermon for you in your life? How are we honoring and learning from women, especially, as I said, about emotional state and the importance to who we are as human and the importance of this story? The second one is don't judge or participate in judgment. Are you the one that starts judging others and starts that conversation when you're with your friends or you're with your family? Or you, may, you might not start it, but you're more than happy to participate in it if someone else starts it. Looking down on others, seeing others as less than, than human, just the contempt for others. We don't participate in judgment or judge others. And the third one is, how are you boldly and shamelessly serving your neighbor? And I don't know who that is for you. If you're a Christian, I trust the Holy Spirit is moving in you right now to give you one neighbor, one neighbor. Maybe that neighbor's sitting next to you. Maybe that neighbor is across the country or the world. But I pray that God gives you one neighbor that you can shamelessly and boldly love in the name of Jesus. But coming to hope and ending our time together, a life of looking at Jesus, being overwhelmed with the sin that's in your own heart and shamelessly trying to love your neighbor. My goodness, if you've been on the journey, I've been on this journey about 15 years, been on the journey for a while, it's hard. It is not easy. It is not easy. And that's why it's, the, I mean, the way is narrow. You know, the way is narrow that leads to life and those that actually enter it are few. Why? Because the way to self-righteousness is easy. But picking up your cross Being overwhelmed with your sin, constantly being desperate for Jesus, that's a hard life. So we look into the future and we have hope that one day this striving will end. One day women and men will live in harmony. One day there will be justice for the oppressed. One day the poor will feast at the banquet table with the rich. And we will be one. One day, and this is what is most important for us, one day sin will will be no war. will be no more. Jesus, all the sin will rise to the surface. Jesus will wipe it off our hearts and off the face of creation, and we will reign with Jesus. And one day, we will see him face to face. What we strive so hard after now, just to get a glimpse of Jesus, just show me yourself that I can see your glory, he'll be with us face to face. So let's pray, and let's ask Jesus to come again. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for Jesus and what he has accomplished. God, thank you for uh, his model of sacrificial love. I'm so grateful that he paved the way. God, I have faith in the love that he has accomplished and what he has done and who he is. And that is what gives me strength and life to love my wife, to love my daughter, to love this community, to love the world. It's not the faith that I have. It's the faith that God gives me. It's the love that God gives me. God, I pray that you overwhelm us with our sin, quickly help us see that forgiveness can be found in you, and always, always, always move us towards love of our neighbor. In the name of Jesus.